0: Forty years ago today, I answered God's call on my life to start a church. With no funding, with no launch team, no facility other than our living room, we began a church. Kathy and I had been married a month, but we knew what God wanted us to do. Our first Sunday service was attended by us, five friends, and an 18-month-old toddler. All I had going for me was the Holy Spirit, the Bible, a good wife, and an unshakable confidence in the power of God. I had no idea what the next 40 years would look like or how the ministry would play out for us, but in my heart of hearts, I knew then what I know today, that it was God's intention for my wife and I to start a church. I was motivated by a promise that Jesus made over 2,000 years ago. He told his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Jesus first made that promise in 30 AD by the waters of Caesarea Philippi. But that same promise has echoed in my heart every day for the last 40 years. And I'm so blessed to be able to stand before you today as a testimony of my Lord Jesus' ability to keep his promises. Here's how Christianity works out. Jesus makes commitments to you, and then you, by faith, make commitments to him. And as those commitments run their course and get lived out in the rough and tumble of your life, you realize the fruits of faithfulness. That God is more faithful than you ever imagined, and that your heart grows in the midst of learning to trust in Him. There is a verse here in Psalm 119 that I want to read this morning. It's verse 32. Here the psalmist pens I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. Notice again the admonition. I will run the course of your commandments. Some things in life need to run their course before they can be fully appreciated. Watch a tree's foliage fall from its limbs in autumn, and throughout the winter, its branches are mere twigs. If you didn't know better, you'd conclude that that tree was dead. But let nature run its course and the miracle of new life will bud in springtime. By summer, it's in full bloom. A young boy meets the girl of his dreams. He'd love to escape with her, and they live happily ever after. But though she loves him too, he's not yet proven he's marrying material. Besides, she's got school to finish and parents to please. Just let the relationship run its course. And if it's meant to be, it'll blossom into marriage. Say you're achy and you're running a fever and you're just pretty much miserable. It's a stomach bug and you think you might just die. But you don't need an ambulance. You don't need a hospital. Just let the illness run its course and in a few days you'll be feeling better. Your favorite baseball team drafts a young pitcher. Everyone's excited. He's hailed as the next superstar. Why not rush him to the big leagues? You certainly need him. But no, better to stick with the plan. Speed up his training and it'll short circuit his development. To reach a player's full potential, his progress should be allowed to run its course. Sometimes nature and relationships and illnesses and training just need to run their course. There's no reason to interfere. What's needed is time and patience. And so it is with our commitments to God. Let God's commandments and your commitments run their course. Make a commitment, then give it time and consistent obedience. Don't just attend to your commitment for a day or a month or even a year. Then get impatient and distracted and abandon that commitment for other pursuits. Stick with it. Before you judge the results, create a pattern around God's promise and follow through over time. Log in a few years of following God and attending to those commitments and then measure the results. As I've often quoted, Zach mentioned it in his video this morning, God's callings deserve a long obedience in the same direction. Not a spurt of attentiveness, but a long obedience We need to pursue God's call with an effort that's not scattered, but targeted. We should uh, should all allow God time and opportunity to do what he's promised to do. My last 40 years illustrate that if you do, God will fulfill his promises, and even more, he'll change and bless and grow you in the process. In an interview with Rolling Stone magazine, actor Jeff Bridges, Bridges was asked this question. They asked, what advice do you wish someone had given you when you were 20 years old? Bridges replied, I got the advice, I just didn't take it. My dad would say, it's all about habit, Jeff. You got to get into good habits. And I said, no, dad, you got to live each moment. Live it as the first one and be fresh. And he'd say, that's a wonderful thought. But that's not what we are. We are habitual creatures. It's about developing these grooves. Jeff Bridges concludes As I age, I now can see his point. What you practice, that's what you become. And this is what I've learned. Forty years ago, I made a commitment to God to build His church. What I've discovered over those years is that as God's commandments have run their course in my life, it's those commandments that have built me. As I've tried to keep my commitments, they've created godly grooves in me that have enlarged me and made me a better man. Forty years of doing ministry with God has enlarged my heart and mind and soul and strength. This past year, Zach's family Gave me a turntable. That's right, a prehistoric record player for my Christmas gift. Zach knew that I had an old vinyl record collection, but no way to play them. There's nothing like the scratchiness and the fuzziness of the sounds that come from black vinyl. You drop the needle down on the record, and it's hard to see them, but the needle falls into these little grooves in the vinyl. And it's those grooves that guide the needle round and round and it emits the sound of beautiful music. Or as we used to say, it's groovy. And we are all like a vinyl record. The grooves that have been laid down over time. The grooves etched into our psyche and our perspective and into our demeanor. The commandments we've followed and the commitments we've lived by are what guides our needle and produces the music of our lives. Today, I want to look back on my 40 years as a pastor and discuss four godly grooves that have been etched into me and have yielded some groovy music. And please don't misunderstand. I'm not promoting myself as some kind of pastoral success story. I realize that there are other pastors with much larger churches and greater influence and more far-reaching ministries I'm just saying I started and pastored a church and I made it 40 years. With my marriage intact and with my kids still speaking to me, my confidence in God and in his word haven't wavered and I even have a church family that loves me and I'm more excited now than ever about what we can do together to help build God's kingdom. I don't know if that's how you measure pastoral success or not I just know I'm a blessed man and I want to continue being a blessing to God and to His people in the years that I have remaining to serve. When I think of my life in ministry over the last 40 years, I feel like it's the outgrowth of four commandments that I received from God and have been determined to keep. I made a commitment to follow one God, teach one book, love one woman and pastor one church these are the godly grooves that have been truly groovy for me well the initial commitment that led me to christ and caused me to embrace his calling to be a pastor and has guided me every day since is my commitment to follow one god and you might think that should be a no-brainer for every christian let alone a pastor I mean, after all, Christianity is the world's largest monotheistic religion. Unlike the pagans, Christians are known to follow one God. Yet this is not always practically true in the church and even among pastors. For pastors tend to follow lots of different voices. Some pastors follow the will and dictates of their denominational leaders. This never made sense to me. Why would any church allow people from outside the congregation, in another town, with different concerns, tell a local church what to do and how to function? This is why I was so happy to discover Calvary Chapel. I loved and appreciated what I learned from my pastor, Chuck Smith. I embraced the ministry distinctives that were, that were Calvary only because they were also biblical With Calvary Chapel, I could listen to and follow God's spirit without some headquarters looking over my shoulder, and yet still be part of a group of pastors who loved and served Jesus. Without a group, it's too easy for a pastor to become an island to himself. That's not healthy. As a Calvary Chapel, I've been free to follow Jesus while at the same time maintaining some human accountability. It's been a perfect blend, and it served me well for 40 years. I've always followed God, not a human hierarchy. Neither have I followed the will of the people. Now, please understand, your opinions matter to me. It's important what folks think, and my door is always open to your opinions. But when the rubber meets the road, I have to obey God, not man. And people pressure is a huge temptation for some pastors. Popular opinion and political correctness can drive the ship. If we don't follow brother so-and-so, he'll stop giving. And boy, we need his money. Too many pastors are manipulated by folks with strong opinions and deep pockets. Thankfully, we've never succumbed to these temptations. We followed one God and have trusted him to meet our needs, and he has done so in spades. Some pastors follow the denomination. Other pastors follow people in the church, while other pastors follow their own ego. And I don't want to fall into that trap either. I admit, it takes a little hutzpah to be a pastor. You know what that means, hutzpah? It's a Jewish word. It's Yiddish. The dictionary defines it as shameless audacity. It's a boldness bordering on arrogance. And in my opinion, to be a good pastor, you have to possess a little chutzpah. Hey, I am a sinful, fallible, very mortal man, Yet I am called to get up here every week and claim to speak for God. That takes a little hot I pray and provide direction that affects the lives of other people that I believe is in harmony with the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. I've even exercised church discipline on behalf of God Himself. These kinds of duty, duties require boldness, timidity is the pastor's enemy. You've got to be sure of where you stand with God to be a pastor. But ego is boldness that is standing alone. When I take a stand, I need to do so humbly, connected to God, conscious of my dependence on him. Whereas some pastors stand alone behind a godly facade, representing their own selfish interests and will. I really want to follow one God, not my own ego. Once Cory Tim Boone was asked if it were difficult for her to remain humble. She replied, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey and everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments on the road and singing praises, do you think for one moment it ever entered the head of that donkey that any of that was for him? If I can be a donkey on which Jesus rides, I'll happily give him all the praise and all the honor. I love Corey's word picture. Certainly that donkey who carried Jesus was sure-footed. He was unafraid of the crowd. He was up to the task, but humility is remembering that Jesus is in the saddle, not me, and that I'm on a journey to bring him glory. Over the last 40 years, I've stayed committed to following one God and teaching one book, the Bible. Without a doubt, nothing about pastoral ministry has benefited me more personally than the discipline of teaching God's word week after week for 40 years. There's another verse, Psalm 119, verse 9, where the psalmist asks the question, how can a young man cleanse his way? And then he answers his own question, by taking heed according to your word. Notice the psalmist doesn't ask, how can a young child cleanse his way? Or how can a grandma cleanse her way? Little kids and grandmas are not the most notorious sinners, are they? How dirty could their way be in the first place? But young men, oh boy, adolescent males are hot-headed and cocky and reckless and hormonal and stubborn and impulsive. I know because I was one. If you can cleanse a young man's way, you can have a cleansing effect on anyone. And what performs this kind of industrial strength cleansing? By taking heed according to your word. Only the Bible can tame a lust and renew a mind and transform a character and break old habits and create a new outlook and produce sensitivity, and spawn self-discipline, and refocus priorities, and develop a faith. There are literally a thousand shortcuts. There's always some spiritual fad that promises instant results. But the truth is, we need a steady diet of God's word, then we need to let it run its course. I'm thankful God called me to be a pastor for many reasons, but chief among them is that it's kept me in God's word for a lifetime. I was hungry for God's truth before I became a pastor, but the discipline of studying to teach two Bible studies a week for 40 years has kept my nose and mind and heart in this book. Today, if there's any holiness in my life or purity of heart or strength of faith, it's because of the impact of the Bible. On occasion, someone will suggest, Pastor, we need more worship. Extend the music time. Or we need to talk about social concerns. Keep us informed. Or let's spend some more time in fellowship and in prayer. And hey, I'm all for worship and proper social involvement and opportunities to minister to one another. But make no mistake about it, the one overarching, pressing priority I cannot neglect is the study of God's word. Romans 10 verse 17 declares, faith comes by hearing and hearing and by the word of God. Without God's word, God's people will flounder from a weak faith. You see, the churches I attended growing up taught from the Bible, but they didn't teach the Bible. And there's a not so subtle difference. In most churches, the pastor sets the agenda and he uses select verses to launch into some feel-good thoughts. But that's a far cry from teaching the Bible and letting the book speak for itself. I've heard it said, it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And for 40 years, this has been my commitment. We're on our fifth time through the Bible. Too many pastors use a Pandora approach to scripture. I'm sure you've listened to music on the Pandora app. Type in an artist or a song that you like, and an algorithm creates a playlist of similar sounding music. And as each song plays, Pandora allows you to either thumbs up or thumbs down that particular song. This helps the algorithm further tailor the music to your likes and your dislikes. And this is how some pastors treat the Bible. They read of God's love. Oh, that's a like. That's a thumbs up. But the Bible stance on sexuality, oops, that's a thumbs down. The parable of the prodigal, prodigal son, that's a thumbs up. The slaughter of the Canaanites. Ooh, oh boy. Don't like that. Hope for the hurting. Oh, that's a like. Sobriety and holiness. Wait a minute. That's a thumbs down. And, and as with a Pandora playlist, this shapes the pastor's teaching. Rather than deal with the whole counsel of God, he gravitates toward the easy passages. This is tragic. And this is what's creating an anemic church today. At the judgment seat of Christ, no pastor will hear the master say, well done, good and faithful servant, if he doesn't turn off Pandora and teach the Bible as is. Again, for 40 years, I've been committed to follow one God, to teach one book, and to love one woman. And where do I begin talking about my wife? For starters, Kathy Adams is this pastor's longest and most faithful church member. She was there at my first Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain Bible study, and I want to love her in such a way that makes sure she attends my last Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain Bible study. No offense to you, but I learned a long time ago that church members are going to come and go. But at the end of the day, I want my wife to still be my wife. And if she comes to church and if she sits down front and still laughs at my corny jokes, all the better. Let me make an observation. A pastor can be sexually faithful to his wife yet still be guilty of adultery. He's more committed to another man's bride than he is his own. When that other woman calls, he drops whatever he's doing with his wife to answer. The pastor will interrupt his vacation or his holiday to entertain his other woman. He pays more attention to her kids than he does his own. He's more attentive to his mistress than he is his own wife. And who is this other woman? It's the church, the bride of Christ. Every married pastor should remember the church is the bride of Christ, not his bride. I'm married to Kathy, not the church. I serve the Lord's church, but my wife deserves the lion's share of my time and affections. Don't misunderstand. The pastors here at Calvary Chapel, Stone Mountain work long and odd hours, and we do so joyfully. We're on call and willing to care for the people Jesus died to save. But before I'm a pastor, I'm a husband and a dad, and my first obligation is to my wife and children. If you call me and I don't answer right away, realize it's not because I don't care about you and your need. I'll call you back at my first opportunity. But just like you, I also have God-given priorities. And it does no one any good for a pastor to sacrifice his family on the altar of ministry. That's how all pastors should treat their family. I once heard some good advice to pastors that I tried to take to heart. The best thing a pastor can do for his family is to build a good church. And the best thing he can do for his church is to grow a healthy family. I agree. And this is why my strategy has always been to give 100% to my family and 100% to my church. When our kids were younger, James and I would often say, it's possible to be a good dad and a good pastor, but if you're both, you won't have time for anything else. For 40 years, I've been committed to loving one woman. And I've got to tell you, Kathy and I are in a very good groove. Our marriage has never been better. If your marriage is struggling today, all I can say is don't give up. Create some good grooves. Marriage is like a stiff shoe. It takes a while to break it in. But once you do, you won't want to take it off. The trials you endure now create a trust and a peace that will bless you later. Kathy and I are in love with Jesus and we're in love with each other and we're excited about the future. Your pastor's wife, she loves missions and she loves the women's ministry here at Calvary Chapel. Boy, she loves you ladies. And she is all in on being a grandma, that's for sure. (laughs) She loves that grandma gig, let me tell you. And we both want to thank this church for helping us raise our own kids. You know, for the most part, the people of this church have loved our kids as they've loved us. Many of you longtime Calvary folks had a formative effect on the lives of our children. And to my knowledge, none of our kids have the scars that other pastor's kids talk about. You've helped this pastor and his wife raise a family. For 40 years, I've committed myself to follow one God, teach one book, love one woman, and pastor one church. My calling from God, thus my intention, has always been to die as the pastor of Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain. Of course, I don't know God's future plans, And I've always held out the possibility that God could call me elsewhere. After all, I'm the soldier, not the captain. I take the orders. I don't give them. And if the Lord called me to another church, I've always hoped that I would be obedient. But I don't go around looking for other opportunities. I am proud to pastor this church. I'm pleased with what we've become and are becoming And I'd insult the work of God's spirit, the work that he's done, if I viewed this church as a stepping stone to something bigger and better. In fact, I believe our best days are yet to come. God has us in a strategic place at a strategic time. And he has a special work he wants to do through Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain. I'm hoping to pastor this church until the rapture. And after that, Matt can take over. Just kidding, just kidding, Matt, just kidding. Wherever you are, Matt, I'm just kidding. Do you know that among all churches, the average time spent by a senior pastor at a church is four years? I've been at it 40 years, and in lots of ways, I still feel like I'm just getting started. I'm still earning people's respect. In a world that shuns commitment, and escapes hard times rather than fights through them, I've tried to set a good example. We'll never develop meaningful friendships if we're always quitting on people. Thus, if I don't quit on you, then you shouldn't quit on one another. I know too many pastors that have grown cynical over the years. They get hurt and they harbor bitterness The carousel of people coming and going from their church, and it happens in every church, causes the pastor and his wife to protect themselves from rejection. They shield themselves from hurts and grow a hard heart. I've learned a better way to cope. It's called grace. And I've learned grace from you guys, from Calvary Chapel, Stone Mountain. This has always been a unique place full of the most loving and caring and grace-filled people I know. On occasion, we'll have a former church member leave us disgruntled, and they'll post something to Facebook. And guess who's always quick to chime in with encouraging words? It's the folks they left behind at Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain. It amazes me. This church challenges me to hold no grudges. You guys love the people who don't deserve your love. You're all about grace. I teach it, but you guys have lived it out. And I really want you to know that though I've spent 40 years at one church, it's been easy to do, for I love you guys. I care for each of you, and I love your families, and for many of you, I feel like I'm part of your family. You know, usually when church members relocate elsewhere, they tell us later, they underestimated how difficult it would be to replace their church. And I know why. The relationships forged in a church become some of life's greatest treasures. Christians share the deepest dimension of life together, its sadnesses and its joys. Over the last few years, I've traveled a lot to speak at conferences and retreats around the country. And I've been asked if if I would ever like to do it full time. My answer is a definite no. I appreciate the opportunity to share with other groups, but I would miss the friendships and the connection that comes with seeing the same folks week after week and watching them grow in their faith and in their love for one another. Of course, I know that if the Lord delays, I won't be your pastor forever. And don't worry, if I start drooling in the pulpit one day and become a liability, I won't need to be told to step down but I'm just 62 years young with plenty of tread left on my tires and I intend to keep rolling as long as I can. One of the ventures I hope to take on over the next few years is to start a year-long program for college-age students to prepare them for life and ministry. We'll use the cabin and we'll build some dorms. I believe the Lord wants us to invest in the next generation. And here's the irony that's developed over the last few years for me. As the elder brother among the Calvary chapels in the Deep South, my pastoring does have a broader effect than just our own local fellowship. I have the privilege now of pastoring pastors. It's amazing that that role fell to me, but I'm happy for the opportunity, and I'm blessed that you guys are willing to help. Let me close with a quote from Joe McKeever. Pastor Joe writes this, No matter how serious a pastor may be, about a long tenure, it's not going to happen apart from the intervention of the Lord himself. And after 40 years as your pastor, I would say the same. Jesus made a promise to build his church. Then he called me and he individualized that promise to my heart. And it's that promise that has sustained me every day since. I love what's said of God in Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. For 40 years now, I've sought to keep my commitments to follow one God and to teach one book and to love one woman and to pastor one church. But it's only because God made a commitment to me first. God has intervened in my life and in this ministry. He's kept us from stumbling and he's going to lead us home. As the psalmist said, I will run the course of your commandments for you shall enlarge my heart. Make a commitment to God and as that commitment runs its course in you, God will enlarge your strength and your vision and your mind and most of all your heart. I grew up around church leaders who had soured over time they didn't respond well to the rigors of ministry and they ended up leaders with closed minds and small hearts but if we let god's commandments run their course in us god promises to create open minds and big hearts i'm praying god makes room in our hearts for new people to love and new visions to pursue and new thoughts to contemplate, and new directions to take, and new technologies to use, and new methods to employ, and new generations to reach. I want us to keep growing in our faith and in our usefulness. In the Revelation, Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches. And his most encouraging letter is to the Philadelphians. We call it the church of the open door. For Jesus tells them, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. They were given an open door that no one could shut. Over the last few months, the coronavirus has caused churches to lock down and close up. Today, I think it's time to open up our doors, our arms, and certainly our hearts. And notice the fact the church of Philadelphia had just a little strength, didn't disqualify them from the opportunities God had for them. Jesus opens doors for churches not because they have lots of people or lots of money or lots of talent or lots of buildings, but he opens doors for churches who keep his word and honor his name. And this is our forte. We keep his word. This is what excites me about our future. Jesus will go before us. He'll open doors. He'll create opportunities. He'll cut paths where there were none. I want to thank God in this church for the last 40 years. But let's be ready for the next 20. The best is yet to come. Godly grooves produce large hearts and open doors. And there's lots of groovy music ahead. Father, thank you.